0: Welcome to the Thought Leadership Project, a podcast by Jay Harrington and Tom Nixon, exploring how lawyers can turn expertise into thought leadership and thought leadership into new business. Welcome to another episode of the Thought Leadership Project. I'm Jay Harrington. With me is Tom Nixon. Hi, Tom.
1: Hey, Jay. I think I think to a certain degree, nature is healing, at least from the COVID um, pandemic. People are starting to get back out. The businesses are starting to reopen. So that at least is some good news.
0: Yeah, good news. Yeah, I've definitely noticed, I, you know, I live in a sort of a summer resort town and it's definitely not back to normal, but we're, we're starting to see the uh, the cars driving north up to where, at, where we're at and lots of people downtown. And um, so, you know, mixed bag, I guess, good to see for business. Um, always a little bit uh, you know, you're, you're skeptical or, or fearful that, you know, could things could turn back to the way they were with more people getting together, but let's hope for the best.
1: Yeah, let's hope for the best. And in some ways, I don't know about you, but the last, I don't even know how long it's been really, but since this whole, quote unquote, whole thing started, seems like forever ago and it seems like just yesterday. So yeah. You know, it's one of those weird phenomenon that it's like, well, look how far we've come in—is it a short period of time or a long period of time? But you know, just yesterday it seemed like law firms and lawyers were pivoting, trying to figure out how to make sense of the COVID nineteen content um, to contextualize it for their clients and maybe readers of their content. And here we are again; it seems like forever. And also, just a, a short moment later, we're trying to talk about how do we get back to normal somehow.
0: Yeah. For sure. And, uh, you know, one other thing that, that you know, I've noticed and, and I've, we all have, and those of us in Michigan, it's been something that's uh, just come to light this week is there are, you know, when we think about things reopening, um, you know, we have things like movie theaters reopening and I've started to see in the news that there's going to be a few new movies released and there, I've, I've noticed maybe an uptick in book launches more recently. So you're starting to see people Sharing even more than just you know what we think of as thought leadership marketing, but more entertainment marketing into the marketplace, and you know that's kind of related to what we're going to talk about today, which is um, you know when it comes to any form of content, how do you tell a good story that captivates an audience, and not just you know gets them to click, but consume from top to bottom, you know what you're what you're trying to share. So um, that's uh, that's what we're going to talk about today.
1: Yeah, and for better or for worse, largely for worse, obviously, but the last several weeks, people had an easy um, an, an easy path to creating content that was of interest and that was relevant because of the crisis. The, the challenge was more so how do you stand out amongst the content tsunami, um, but what we're going to talk about today, which is when, when you're in quote-unquote normal times and you're writing thought leadership content and there's not a crisis to contextualize or, or demystify how do you write a piece of content that keeps a a first gets a reader engaged which we've talked about but then keeps the reader engaged because you want that reader knowing that they're going to do some level of skimming you at least want them engaged enough to get to the bottom or to get some sort of call to action or next step even if it's just click another page on the website right yep absolutely so what are maybe we should go through some of these techniques and, you know, obviously we've prepared a few to share with our uh, listeners and some additional ones will come up, but I, I have to start with one of your favorites, which is the use of metaphor and analogy, right? Right.
0: Yeah. Can you define those terms for me, Tom? I was
1: hoping (laughs) you would. Well, well,
0: I'll take a crack at it. You were the English major in college. so I mean, I'm going to, well they're both comparisons right they're both yeah yeah you can there you go that's a good starting point no i'm gonna draw upon i'm gonna try to do this and draw upon my experience over the last couple months uh homeschooling a fourth grader so um so yeah uh when we're thinking about how to engage an audience and and really make content stand out and make it interesting because it's all sort of based on the notion that you know there are no truly original ideas anymore right it's it's and there's some truth to that where you know, the everyth- almost everything you're going to write as a thought leader has been said in some way or another. Um, it's not as if you're the only person writing about a topic. So the challenge therefore is to make your content interesting, engaging, um, thought provoking, and different than others that you're competing uh, with for people's attention. So yeah, it's certainly metaphor and analogy are two good ways to do that. And I mean, there's there's people who are are really masters at these things. I mean, metaphor, like uh, you were getting into, Tom, it's really, you know, when you're comparing one thing to another. Um, and analogy is where you're, you're doing something similar. Um, you're explaining how two things are similar. Um, analogy, usually you're getting into for purposes of more explanation. Like metaphor is like a clever way to say something, I guess, and, and maybe a, a different way to say something. Analogy is where you're really comparing two things for the purposes of, comparing and contrasting those two things to, to maybe give greater context to a thought that you're you're trying to get across um, so you see writers across domains use these techniques um, literary devices that uh, you know someone like a Malcolm Gladwell who really I think uses analogy and metaphor extremely well in his books like the tipping point um, and and many others and and certainly when you're reading um, interesting uh Content from lawyers, um, many of many of those who are, you know, experienced writers and who have understood how to engage an audience are using them as well. So, um, you know, it, it's just something to be thinking about when you're getting into your content to say, like, how is something that I'm trying to get across my audience similar to something else? Because oftentimes, you know, the legal topic itself might be dry, it might be complex, um, but maybe you can compare it to something else in a way that makes it more interesting, more engaging, just give someone a different perspective on what you're trying to communicate. Um, to use an example, I, I try to use analogy quite a bit in my own writing. Um, I, I recently wrote an article that was talking about trying to identify and define your ideal client. And, and to try to emphasize that point, I, I shared a, a recent experience where I tried to go fly fishing and without much success and I learned that you know, it really doesn't matter, you know, how, where you go or how you cast or anything like that. If you don't understand what fly to be using, what season it is, what the weather's like, all of those kinds of things. And the same goes for like marketing and business development as a lawyer, right? You really need to understand who your audience is, who your ideal client is, if you want your marketing tactics to align towards your business objective. So sort of use that as an analogy, Um, rather than just stating you need to identify your ideal client. And maybe it just gives a a different way to get into that content, something that's been written many times before by many other people, but just might hit someone in a different fashion. So uh, these are, I guess, just two jumping off points when we're thinking about literary devices. But Tom, why don't you add to that?
1: Yeah, I think the biggest thing you said to me is I think it makes the content accessible to the layperson. And if there's an objection, not an objection, a criticism I might have of the way sometimes attorneys write is that they write for other attorneys and not always is the case that the consumer of the content is an attorney. So because of what they do, they're really smart at these really complex issues and they want to demonstrate expertise. Um, But sometimes that goes over the head or goes past the interest level of somebody who might otherwise be engaged in the content. So if you can use, you know, break down the complex with something simple like an analogy to fly fishing, then it all clicks for everyone. Right. So I think that's great. I I wanted to move on maybe to another technique, which is something that you do a lot in your writing. And I think it's effective and I don't do enough of this. And it's because there's a little extra work that goes into it in That's my confession and I should because the use of statistics or prior established research really adds a lot of, A, credibility to the thought leader. It shows that they understand the space. We've been talking since we've launched this podcast about how you need to be truly an expert in a narrowly defined niche if you want to elevate to the realm of thought leader and not just another person contributing content for the content's sake. And one of the things that a thought leader does is they have a finger on the pulse of what's really happening in a given industry, and they have the data to prove it. So do you recommend what are some of the techniques you recommend in terms of A finding the research, B making it relevant, and then C, where do you where might you bake it? Maybe there's a right answer, maybe there's a wrong answer, I don't know. But are there techniques for where you bake that research in to keep the reader really engaged and say, aha, either this is something I want to keep reading, or do you lead with it? Do you leave it to the end? Any thoughts on on that?
0: Yeah. So I'll try to remember that was a three part question and I'll try to remember all three parts, but, um, I have know, a fourth. No, yeah. I'm just the, uh, the, yeah, the point of it is, I guess, you know, especially from a lawyer standpoint, I mean it's the same idea where if you're writing a legal brief, you would never, you would never make an argument, um, in, in a brief that doesn't have some, uh, you might make an argument, but you'd want to back it up with case law, um, or some of, you know, the site to the statute, whatever the case might be. And the same goes for st- statistical research when you're, you're writing thought leadership content, because while you may be an expert, um, you know, someone might not know that, and they want to understand like, are you just asserting, are you just making this assertion, or is there some backing to it? You know, if Someone figured, figured this out in a scientific way before and, and compiled some research that backs up your point. It's just going to make you a more credible expert. So, so yeah, definitely do it whenever possible. Um, especially when it comes to, uh, you know, things that are um, things around like, you're you're making a statement like, oh, during this economic downturn, well, maybe you want to give some context to that, especially if you're writing for a particular industry, I want to say, you know, and and emphasize that point with some site to, um, you know, research that that emphasizes that or supports that assertion that you're making. Um, So, yeah, it's, you know, as far as, as far as where to put that, um, research, I'd say that, you know, you don't want to do too much because it can get overwhelming. You're not trying to write a, you know, a academic paper here. Um, but at the same time, there are just certain instances where, where it's called for. And frankly, some of the best, um, most popular, um, highest ranking content out there is like a, is oftentimes a compilation of statistics. And we've done these types of posts before Tom, where you're kind of going out and finding, um, you know, credible research that um, relates to a broader theme like content marketing or thought leadership marketing and providing you know, our audience with essentially a, a roadmap to what's happening in the industry. And that can be very helpful for your audience. So any lawyer could do the same thing um, for the industry they're focused on, like going out and aggregating what's happening in real time, what is the lay of the land, and, and doing that on behalf of clients is, can be really valuable and it can make that make for popular content. Um, it's first finding, like you know, you might have noticed. I said credible research, and when you're researching online, that that can be a um, you know a bit dicey, because you know you've probably been down this road before, Tom. Where I'll see a statistic cited in one uh, article, it'll link to another article, which will link to another article, and you you follow the you go down the rabbit hole far enough, and you find that there's actually no research <laughs> that that, that right. exists. Somehow, yeah. it's like a game of you know telephone, like a kids' play, where someone just keeps citing to this assertion that um, never actually has any scientific or data backing to it. So, try to stick with good sources, uh, you know, the sort of the research-based companies out there that are actually doing scientifically based research, um, because oftentimes you'll find that you know research has been done that might be cited to had a sampling size of like 34 respondents or something like that. So, right. you have to be careful. But um, if you do find that good research, it really can back up and support, you know, the arguments that you're trying to make within a piece.
1: Yeah, so they can either support, or I like statistics and data that are surprising. So they're counterintuitive. So if you're gonna report that, um, you know, 80% of Americans like vanilla ice cream, right? It's gonna be, we already know that. And sure, the data's good, but it's not making an assertion that's gonna lead to anyone wanting to consume your article. I'll use an, I'll stay with an analogy then since we're advocating that, but if there was data, and I'll ask you this, did you know that vanilla never appears high in a survey of people's favorite ice cream? Did you know that?
0: I did not know that, Tom.
1: Did you also know that vanilla is by far the most sold flavor of ice cream in the world?
0: Yeah. Well, you know, now that you say that, um, as long as there's a topping involved, I'd say vanilla it's been right. better, but no, I would I would not have known either of those two things. So the data point is kind of
1: somewhat interesting,
0: but the the
1: analysis of why that is could get into an article. <laughs> I'm not advocating that anyone do this, but you get the point is that why would that be? And there's all sorts of reasons. because vanilla is utilitarian. Vanilla is also everyone's second favorite flavor of ice cream behind something else. So um, it's the data points that are interesting that I think that maybe belong going back to the question I posed to you about where you bake it in. If it's interesting and it's contrarian and it's going to make people think and want to know more, that should be somewhere at the top. There's no point in burying the lead, as they say, and putting at the end. If it's supportive of an argument, maybe the assertions are made and then the data is is reference to to back up or support the assertion. So again, no right or wrong necessarily, but knowing what you're using the data to do is going to help you figure out when and where to plug it into a piece.
0: Yeah, and one last point on that. You know, another opportunity, and we've talked about this before, is that to the extent you can't find research uh, related to a particular point you're trying to make, that might be a good opportunity to conduct your own research. I mean, that you know, doing um, industry research can be a, an excellent form of, of thought leadership marketing. Because then, you know, if there is some unanswered question, uh, and you go out and gather the data and do the hard work to put together that analysis, well, then, you know, you're generating PR opportunities from that. Um, people, you know, p- prospective clients in, in the industry you are focused on are going to pay attention to that research, they're going to see you as a thought leader who's really sort of at the uh, at the front end of the of the conversation happening um, within that industry. So look for those opportunities where, you know, there's a question keeps coming up over and over or an assertion keeps getting made with no data to back it up and consider whether you might be the person or firm to do that research.
1: Right, and just, I wanna reemphasize a point that a number of our guests on the podcast uh, have made and I think it's valid, is it is not the role of the attorney thought leader to report the news so the data and the statistics are not the news, it's the analysis of why that's important to an industry segment or a particular person. And I think that's valuable because you, people across all walks of life, they start with the presumption that I'm going to be delivering information that is unique and original, and everyone just happens to be delivering the same piece of news. And if it really is trying to quote unquote break news, there are going to be people that do it way better than you. So, But what you can do way better than them is provide the analysis of the context that makes it relevant and actionable. So again, data is great, but that's not, you're not in the business of reporting facts and figures. So uh, I wanted to move on to another uh, area, pick your brain, because this is something that we love to do. And you mentioned I'm an English major. So when I get a chance to tell a story, I really get into it. And I think it's a really effective form of argumentative writing is actually telling stories. So, and I know you tell great stories. And sometimes you reference other people's stories in your writing. Um, why are stories important? and what do we mean by we say telling stories we 're not trying to entertain necessarily, but what are we doing when we 're trying to quote unquote story tell
0: well i mean everyone everyone 's heard this, but it 's because it 's true uh and it's it's really been a lasting thing throughout all of human civilization is that people are best engaged by and learn from and remember stories so um, if you can tell a story through your thought leadership content, then it's going to accomplish all of those things. It's going to engage the reader and, and it's going to um, have a lasting impact to the extent you do it well. So trying the ability to weave in a story is, is very important. And we don't necessarily mean, you know, going back and telling some anecdote from, you know, John Adams or who, some historical figure and, and, and telling that story, although that can be effective, um, however, oftentimes it's just thinking about um, telling a story where you're essentially putting your reader um, you know as the protagonist to the story like understanding what are the pain points and challenges they're facing and write as if you're you know in the shoes of that person sort of helping them to understand you know the challenge they face and the solution um, to that so you know again you're you're really when you're understanding who your who your target reader is, you can you can inject them or at least their persona into the story such that they're reading it and they feel like it's been written just for them. So um, you know for for a whole host of reasons, story is important, um, and you know thinking about writing with a beginning, a middle, and an end where you're taking your reader through a journey. You know essentially. Getting back to the work of Joseph Campbell, the the hero's journey, where you know there's the protagonist is your reader, your ideal client reader. The um, the antagonist is whatever problem they're facing or challenge they might be facing, and then you, the role you're playing in that story, is the one of a guide, right? Who's the who's kind of the one there to guide the hero, your reader, through the challenge and provide them with the solution, and and they see you in that role, and that's of course. role that every lawyer wants to play which is that of trusted advisor who kind of helps the hero um, make the transformation that ultimately allows them to get what they want so you know yoda to luke skywalker or um, mr miyagi to the karate kid so you know you see these in um in in popular culture every story that's ever been told there's these characters and injecting that storytelling technique into your thought leadership content can make um, your writing and, and you as the, as the guide or the, the thought leader um, stand out to a much greater degree. Yeah, it's a good,
1: I think, frame of, of reference for the mindset is to remember that the writer, the author is not the hero, which is a mistake that people can make if they're not cognizant of it to think of themselves as coming to the rescue at the end and they're the hero and really the reader wants to see him or herself as the hero. Um, one question, I'm curious where you stand on this uh, relative to storytelling, maybe not explicitly within the legal realm, but um, you know, growing up, I, was an author, I wanted to be an author. I wanted to be a journalist. I wanted to have Mitch Album's job. Did I ever tell you that?
0: You didn't tell uh, me that, but I, sh- I shared that. Uh, yeah. I read, I read the Detroit Free Press voraciously uh, and always looked for his column.
1: Yeah. I loved it. Um, I grew to fall out of love with Mitch, unfortunately, but what I liked so much about him is that he wasn't just reporting on sports. He was a columnist that was essentially telling stories. And I really gravitated to that form of writing. And then as he and others like him became very popular, you saw a lot of reporters trying to emulate the storytelling, um, Technique, and it got to the point—at least for me—that I started to get put off by every news sports column that started with a story about you know he 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 puts on his cleats and he does all this, and I'm like waiting to what is going to be the point? Like, is there news here? Is there a reason I need to read this article about Barry Bonds or not? And if it's just going to be a bunch of fluff storytelling, like I need to skip ahead. And the reason I bring that up is, hey, I wonder if you've ever experienced that. But it goes back to again, advice guests on this podcast have have given, which is you can't make, you can't expect and make the reader go all the way to the bottom to get the takeaway of an article. And even if, you know, relative to storytelling, if you're going to lead with a story, you might pre-lead with why the story is even important. Right. And so that's just a cautionary tale from my own experience. And again, outside of law, but it applies to any kind of writing is if the, the, if you start with a stem winder of a story, you potentially lose the reader's interest before they even get into the story because they're not even sure why it's important because they're not the hero. Somebody else is the hero of the story potentially. So anyways, any yeah. thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, totally agree. Um, you Even if it's just a mere seven minutes of their time, you can't expect a reader to invest that time if they don't understand the value right up front. Um, and And that you need to hit them immediately with why – you know, why do I, why should I read this down to the bottom? Uh, and and so you need to provoke them at the start, but you also need to deliver at least somewhat of the punchline. Yep. Um, and then that's where, you know, the, the way if you think about a, a, a typical article and if you read a good, you know, anything, um, other than maybe, yeah, you, if you're reading, if you're reading The New Yorker and it's 7,000 word article, like you know what you're getting into, right? But if you're writing for um, in a in a format and in a publication that is much shorter form content than that, then it's a different bargain you have with the reader. Right. Um, You you're not writing when they're you're not writing for someone who might be reading something on the beach necessarily. It's someone who's scrolling through their phone, and and so you need to capture them immediately. So yeah, you if you're gonna when you introduce story, unless it's very brief. Um, it's probably should be under the first like subhead within an article. After you get through your introduction and just deliver, you know, at least some of the some of the uh, final result that you're going to yeah. deliver to them. So I yeah. think that's probably how you want to think about it.
1: Yeah, we've had the, maybe it's a minor quibble with those who say you know the payoff needs to be at the beginning. Um, it's, I think some version of the payoff needs to be at the beginning, either a hint as to what the payoff's going to be or a tease of what the payoff is, but it needs some further explanation. So totally agree with those who say, you know, you can't have the payoff be in the final paragraph. Totally agree with that. Um, But I don't think you need to give out the entirety of the article in the first paragraph, because again, the intent is to get them engaged and to keep reading. So, yep,
0: interesting. So Uh, and then, uh, Tom, the only I think the last maybe category that I would think about, in, and there's more, but like for purposes of um, not making this podcast too long, but another good uh, device to use, especially in thought leadership content would be um, drawing upon uh, some of the social sciences. So behavioral economics, um, some sociology, anthropology. The social sciences that are philosophy that are dedicated to sort of explaining human behavior because when we're thinking about you know law and policy I mean those are really at the root of what uh, we're trying to do in terms of kind of shaping human behavior incentivizing human behavior um, all of these things are are related sometimes a little bit more tangentially but I mean they're 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 at the core of what lawyers do um, in terms of trying to persuade and convince and 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 make solid arguments so. Things like you know, if 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 you're trying to describe why, um, you know, something some human is behaving irrationally, you know, drawing upon the work of Daniel Kahneman, for example, and 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 confirmation biases that we all have, and um, other other leaders in behavioral economics would be a good way to, again, um, add something of interest to the article um, and have some. While there might not be, you know, solid statistical data at least there's grounding in academic research and and experts who have really studied these issues and have a, an interesting take on it and sometimes you can use helpful shorthand that explains a topic um that's very complex and would take a long time to to explain in in the shorthand way that you know a um uh, An expert who studied these things before, especially when it comes to things like behavioral economics, where there's there's some language around it that we all understand to some extent. So that'd be one other area to draw upon would be that sort of social science um, research.
1: Yeah. One thing I've noticed that you do well in your writing uh, quite a bit um, goes back to what you just said, but um, it's a sort of a subcategory of citing data and statistics. And that is just a quote other thought leaders and experts. So people who've already really earned the right in the mantle of thought leader. You mentioned a couple on this podcast already, you know, people like Seth Godin and and those who are household names. And if you can quote something that they've said to establish a position, then you're sort of stealing a base in a good way to sort of, you know, you're again, part of the role of a thought leader is to curate the thought leadership that's come before. And um, if you can, it also demonstrates that you're out there and you're reading and you're consuming and you understand the space and it just legitimizes a viewpoint without the need maybe to go and, and go into great detail on the subcontext and the research because the bona fides are already just built into the who, who it is that you're quoting. So you do that quite a bit and it's not something that we mentioned, but I think people should pay attention to that when they see it and they should try to employ that into their writing as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you can go, if you can, to use your, your term, Tom, if you can go curate, uh, the best um, thought and, and analysis and arguments in, in a particular area and provide that as a service to your clients well then you don't need to have all that original thought on your own um, you can and, and people can look to you rather than having to spend all this time curating that content themselves um, so you, you serve as a helpful resource to people if you're if you're kind of staying on top of other thought leadership within your category um, on behalf of your readers yep Yep.
1: Well, that might be a good place to leave off. And um, hopefully, we've given enough value in the the podcast content that people have listened all the way to the bottom of this article. That was a metaphor, Jay.
0: Yeah, I see what you did there.
1: (laughs) Yep. So, good. All right. Well, this is good advice. And um, uh, I look forward to, you know, reading your um, application of some of these devices. I'm going to, you know, try to hold myself to, to doing being a better steward of some of these, um, and I hope our, our listeners will as well. Yeah.
0: Well, sounds good, Tom. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thank you for listening to The Thought Leadership Project. For show notes, additional resources, and links to the tools discussed on today's episode, visit thethoughtleadershipproject.com.